This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good morning. I need some of those fancy glasses like Derek has. All right. This morning, I would like to begin our thoughts uh, talking a little bit about King Hezekiah. Now, King Hezekiah of Judah, uh, his story is found throughout the Old Testament in Chronicles and Kings and Isaiah, but we're going to focus a little bit in, in Isaiah and King Hezekiah is one of those kings. Uh, You know, in the Old Testament where it talks about this king did that which was evil in the sight of God. And then this king did that which was good in the sight of God. King Hezekiah uh, was someone who followed after God and God's will. King Hezekiah was one of those kings who tore down those high places, those places that were established and built to worship false gods and false idols. So as we think about King Hezekiah, we think of him in the terms of being a good guy. You know, he did that which was right in the sight of God. He promoted God and the teaching of God's word to his people. Now we're going to come across in chapter 39 of Isaiah. Um, King Hezekiah has gone through some very tumultuous times. This is about the period of time that the Assyrians were really uh, asserting and establishing their stronghold. And the Assyrians were a very nasty people to deal with. You know, about the Assyrian Empire and all the things that they did and took and accomplished and put a lot of people into captivity. And the process uh, took a lot of those places over. Now they're in this area, they're in Judah. They've already taken over quite a few of the strong cities those fortified cities in Judah. Now they're focusing on Jerusalem. They're focusing on King Hezekiah's territory and where he is. And they have encamped themselves about. There are so many men there uh, that this is not looking good. It's not looking good for the kingdom. It's not looking good for Hezekiah. On top of that, on top of that, he's dealing with a sickness. And he's been told by Isaiah, he said, the, the Lord has said, get your affairs in order because you will surely die. So there's a lot of things that are going on and chronologically uh, about the same period of time. Number one, he's just been told he's going to die. So that's a very difficult thing to grasp. Um, And he didn't handle it quite well. In fact, he was so upset and so distraught, he turned to the wall and he started praying such a fervent prayer. His tears were so great and his prayer was so touching that God actually told Isaiah, okay, I've heard his prayer. Go and tell him he's going to get 15 more years. 15 more years is a big difference from you're going to die right now. Not only that, but he was also told that not only will the Assyrians not come and conquer you, not one arrow will fly into the city. And so overnight, the angel of death came to the Assyrian encampment 
And if you could picture 185,000 men, that was a piece of what they had. These men died overnight. So as those who had survived were waking up, they were seeing all these corpses. That was an amazing thing to see because this was the hand of God watching out for Hezekiah. Hezekiah was doing that which is righteous in the sight of God. But Hezekiah was a man. He wasn't perfect. He was imperfect, just like you and me. And he made mistakes. Now we're going to pick up about the time where the Babylonians, after all this has transpired, and the Assyrians are no longer the big threat that they were, at least at that particular time. Babylonians were not established yet as a kingdom as we know it, the Babylonian Empire. Uh, but they were trying to find some allies. The Assyrians were pretty ruthless people, and so they sent emissaries to Judah, to Hezekiah. The emissaries came to Hezekiah. He received them. Not only did he receive them, uh, but he said, let me show you what I've got while you're here. So he showed them everything, and I mean everything. He showed them storehouses. He showed them the treasury where all their treasures were built up. He also showed them their weaponry. Now, you want to see where our weapons are stored? Come on, I'll let you see. Isaiah steps in. Ask him, who were they? And what did you show them? It's the Babylonians. They were sent from afar off. Emissaries to come and talk with us. And I showed them everything. Really. Verse 539, I know we know this story by heart, but what I want to pay attention to, after Isaiah tells him what's about to happen to his people, to his lineage, how does Isaiah respond to this, this news, this terrible news? Verse 5, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, listen to this message for the Lord of heavens. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all your treasures, this is from the NLT. All your treasures stored up by your ancestors until now are all going to be carried off to Babylon. There'll be nothing left, says the Lord. Some of your own sons will be taken away into exile. They will become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of Babylon's king. Now, here's the, here's the part I want to get to. Verse 8. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, this message you have given me from the Lord is good. For the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. Now that's terrible, but it doesn't affect me. You know, and, and we can look at Hezekiah in this instance and think, man, that's brutal. That's selfish in so many ways, but... If we think of the overarching theme of what's going on here, I find myself doing that sometimes. You know, well, that's, that's horrible. I feel bad, but it doesn't affect me. You know, have you ever felt that way? may not realize it, but sometimes it's easy to get into that kind of a mindset. Hezekiah wasn't a bad guy. He followed after God's commandments, but his biggest relief was to find out at least it's not affecting me. That's not the kind of attitude that God has picked out for us to have. I'm going to read off some verses. 
um, just to kind of set the theme of, of a thought process. Philippians 2 and 3. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. In other words, put others before you. 1 Corinthians 10 and 24. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Mark 10 and 45. Christ is speaking here. He said, even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Corinthians 13 and 7, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. In Matthew 5 and 44, I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. He proved that out in action on the cross, didn't he? After everything had happened to him, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So as we think about the attitudes that we should have, not just for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but for those uh, throughout the world that are lost. And this is where the rubber kind of hits the road for me because I fell on this so dramatically. Um, When you put others first, it's not going to be the kind of an attitude where... Well, I tried, but that's their fault. You know, at least I'm okay. You know, Hezekiah's attitude at the end is so easy to have. And as I was going through the internet, I was trying to find some type of a testimonial that would kind of describe the opposite of that, where you don't give up on someone, uh, where you do everything possible to help somebody. It's not the, eh, I tried. It, at least it's not going to happen to me. I'm okay. And I came across one while I was kind of practicing, but trying to weed out down to a certain time frame on my lessons. Uh, this one started to sound a little familiar. So somebody may have used this before, uh, deja vu, or uh, I'm just getting old and it just sounds familiar. So if you did, uh, it's pertinent in this instance, so I'm going to use it again if that's the case. Found it on the Christian heart. Uh, not promoting the website, but uh, this was where this young man had posted this on March the 8th of 2021, just kind of giving a testimonial about somebody that he worked with that he didn't give up on. And in most cases, in a situation like this, we kind of put ourselves into his, into his shoes. Would we have kind of pulled the ripcord, so to speak, and just, okay, I tried, I'm done. Or would we have gone the extra mile? He says, I just started a new job when I met him. This is the man that God wanted to reach. At that time, my job was to work on radio towers. He soon became my climbing partner, and we were climbing radio towers together. You kind of get to know somebody when you're stuck with them 9 to 12 hours a day, 5 to 6 days a week, with literally no place to go. I never tried to push God onto him, but I wasn't going to hide who I was from him. So I shared with him. I shared how every morning on my drive to work, I turned on worship music, and I had a list of people that I prayed for. You don't pray for me, do you? He did. It turned out this man hated God. I don't know about you, but when I run across people that have that kind of an attitude, it's usually somebody that may have at some point in their life followed after God, Something happened. 
something triggered at this point. You know, they just hate God. And for me, that's just kind of casting pearls before stone. I'm out of here. You know, I tried. He didn't give up. Wasn't trying to force God onto him. So it turned out he hated God. Still, I continued to pray for him, and I told him so. Now, I don't want you praying for him, but he's, I'm going to do it. I'll let you know I'm doing it. I'm not pushing anything on you. After a while, his response started to soften. And then finally he said, if you're going to pray, then pray for my daughter, but don't pray for me. Kind of getting somewhere. Obviously, there's something going on in his life, and something happened to his daughter. And he said, pray for my daughter. So his heart is starting to soften a little bit starts to sound like possibly something happened that he prayed possibly about and God didn't answer it in the way that he wanted to concerning his daughter. We've heard stories like that. This guy didn't give up. He kept praying for him. You know, sometimes we get the cart before the horse and we wait till the last, last possible. It's okay, I'm down to just praying for you when it should have been the very first thing we started with. He later moved away. We stayed in touch. I continued to see his heart start to soften more and more. One night he fell off the wagon. He became suicidal. He came to me that night, and my dad and I sat with him. We sat with him for hours, and all that we knew to say was that God has a plan for you. We found out later that simple truth that we shared literally saved his life. He was going to commit suicide. But he didn't because they shared the simple truth. God had a plan for him. He told me that that commitment and the level of love that we had showed him, and there's something different about you guys, and the only thing I can come up with is God, and I need that. Now, I wish there had been a follow-up to this letter that he posted because I I was kind of hooked. I wanted to hear what happened. Uh, But this was all that I could find. But it was the attitude that he had. I have a tendency to bail real quick. And, you know, God forgive me. I'm working on that. I'm trying. You know, the Great Commission, go into the whole world. I'm not interested. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> it's not affecting me. Yeah, I tried. I, I heard it expressed one time that it's like you're on an aircraft. There's only two of you, and there's one parachute, and you're wearing it. Now you're telling the guy, okay, the plane's going down. It's going to be a fiery crash. Jump with me. We'll go together with the parachute. We'll both be safe. There's nothing wrong with the plane. He's, he's refusing. He's not, okay. All right, I'm done. I tried. You jump out. You pull the pin. You're okay. He's not. How far do you go? Free will. We don't want to push something onto somebody. You don't ever bully somebody into becoming Christian. It doesn't work. Um, But how quick are we to give up? And I'm speaking to me because I have seen some of you with hearts that just don't give up, Um, with hearts of compassion and love. I'm quick to pull the cord and jump out of the plane. And the whole time I was growing up, I kept hearing that that phrase, yeah, you're just casting pearls before swine. You know, I grew up in the 70s. Not too many of you remember the 70s, but 
I grew up in the 70s, and there was a lot of turmoil and weird stuff, not just hippies. There was a lot of stuff that was going on, some of which, of course, is going on today. There's nothing new under the sun. There was a lot of um, divisions in churches, a lot of splits. Uh, I heard that phrase bounced around as a little kid a whole lot. You know, there would be a difference of opinion, and people would build hills that they would be prepared to fight and die on. A lot of times it was just tradition. Uh, but this group didn't want to talk to this group. And sometimes it boiled down to uh, even a peacemaker could not approach them because I'm just casting pearls before swine. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. Don't give that which is holy unto dogs. And these are people talking about fellow Christians. So that phrase kind of stuck with me over the years. And when I'm ready to bail on a situation where I really should be digging in and not giving up, and I guarantee you there's probably some of us here this morning who might not be here or any other Christian worship service if everybody had bailed on us and given up. Somebody held in there and didn't give up on us, and that's probably why we're here today. Praise God for that. So that phrase... Um, it's been used, misused, and cherry-picked whenever needed. And I've used it as a cop-out. Don't cast your pearls before the swine. Where did it come from? What is the context? And what, is it, what does it really mean? So let's take a look at that. All right, we're... Where do we get that from? comes from, of course, uh, the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. And we call it Sermon on the Mount because he went up into a mountain and preached. Um, sometimes when we look and study something out, especially a verse like this, uh, it helps a great deal to determine a few things. Who's speaking? Who are they speaking to? Who's the crowd? And what is the context? What is the environment? What's, what's going around at this time? And so as we see the Lord, um, and we're primarily dealing with Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Who's he talking to? In the very first verse, it tells us the point of view of who he's talking to, doesn't it? Matthew 5 and 1, he went up into the mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. Who's he talking to? His followers, his disciples. Well, the last verses of uh, Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus finished these sayings in 20, verse 28 of chapter 7, it said the crowds, or the people, were amazed. So his perspective is speaking to his disciples, his followers, but the crowds were always there, weren't they? And so he knew they were listening. He knew very well they were listening. Who was within the crowds that always followed Jesus? Well, you, you had Pharisees that were trying to trip him up. You had people that were just curious. People that came to want to see a miracle. People that wanted to be fed because they heard Jesus was feeding people. You've got a wide variety of people, and they're all listening through a perspective of Christ talking to his disciples. Now, the whole time that he was training up his disciples, he was preparing them, as we know, for the Great Commission to go out to carry out the spreading of the gospel. What was the condition 
that was going on physically in that world that they knew. As Christians, they were going to be uphill battle, battling against things that were of a tremendously violent and lethal nature. There was two main forces at work as they were to spread the gospel, and both were very dangerous. The Jewish leadership, you know, we had uh, Pharisees, scribes, Sadducees, Herodians, um, Sanhedrin Council, all of which set about to destroy Christ, his followers, and what we refer to as Christianity in general, to wipe it out because it went against their leadership and it went against what they believed. They didn't believe for a minute he was the son of Christ. Was it dangerous? Have you ever read uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs? To keep a dry eye. That was tough. This is the time frame where proclaiming Christ is going to get you tortured, boiled in oil, cut in half, crucified like him. Now, this is a very, very dangerous time to be a Christian and proclaiming this new news, this good news of Christ. And so as he sets his disciples together here, he knows what's going to happen to him. And he needs to prepare them in every possible way for the work which he is setting them out to do. And in the Sermon on the Mount, and he goes into great detail about being the salt of the earth, being the light that's set on a hill. And then in chapter 7, in particular, this verse is used probably more by non-Christians. You don't think of non-Christians or atheists or agnostic as using a verse, but they try to on this one. If you're a Christian, they find out you're a Christian, they're going to throw this up to you real quick. Judge not that you be not judged. Well, Christ in teaching his disciples wasn't telling them that there could be no judgment. In fact, he was saying the opposite. He was teaching them how to have a righteous judgment. So there's a righteous judgment. There's an unrighteous, a self-righteous judgment. How do you see that little speck of a splinter that's in your brother's eye when you've got this big honking beam of wood sticking out of your own eye? First take the beam out of your own eye, and then you're better prepared to make a righteous judgment call to help your brother. So he's teaching them righteous judgments and how to make them. And then, then he goes into the phrase that we hear used, I've used it, and I have misused it. I've misappropriated what he's talking about. Um, casting pearls before swine. Let's look at what it says and look at the whole picture. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. In the King James, it says dogs. Don't waste it on dogs. Don't throw your pearls to the pigs. They will trample the pearls, and then they will turn and attack you. Now, it took me a long time to realize, and you know, this isn't an insult towards people. This entire analogy, this parable, this is talking about how something is received. Not calling somebody a pig. In the descriptive nature of what it says, what exactly does it say? Because if we're going to quote it, we need to know. It says they will take something of great value, the pearl. What happens if you threw pearls out to pigs? They would immediately think it was food. And in trying to digest it, they don't like it. And so they get mad and turn on the person who was casting these things of great value. And you turn and attack somebody that's a very violent 
nature, isn't it? Is this going to happen to them out there? He says, when you go out and you spread this gospel, and we know about the Great Commission because we are commanded to do so also, that this is going to be something that you have to watch out for. Were they in danger? They were in danger for their life everywhere they went. When you go into those cities and you start talking to these people, how is this spirit received by them? Do they turn on you with great violence? Shake the dust of your feet off. Go somewhere else. Live to tell the tale. Casting pearls before swine, taking that which is great value and turning on to you with violence. Now let's put that into today's perspective because I've used this phrase when I just want to bail somebody you mentioned the gospel to or if they just bring up something, you know, like, how are you today? Oh, it's been a blessed day. Lord willing, and then they just shut you off. Well, you're one of those. Okay, well, I'm done. I'm not going to cast pearls before swine. I'm not wasting my pearls. Is that really what it said? Would it be pertinent today in any situation? Yes. When somebody turns on you in a violent nature, does it have to be physical? No. How many times have we tried to deliver the gospel or just bring up and approach the subject of God? Uh, when they just literally turned on us in a violent way, the way a, a wild hog would if you tried to feed it something it didn't want? Probably not very often. Um, there's a lot of approaches that people tend to take when they don't want to hear what you're, you know, what you're saying. And you got the approach, if I'm just disinterested, thank you, but, but no. You got the condescending approach that sets off my temper, God help me, that, okay, you're one of those. Oh, bless your heart. You know, I'm so intelligent, and here you are, you need a crutch of some kind, so if you want to believe in this fairy tale, bless your little heart. You know, I have to fight that within me because it starts to uh, build as a rage. Um, but you're probably not going to get too much in that season of their life. That doesn't mean that won't change. And then you can have the verbal assault, and that would qualify for violence, would it not? And the verbal assault is usually an absolute attack, not just on you, but on God, a blasphemous attack on the truth of God's word. And is there a time and a season when we just need to stop and walk away? Absolutely. If somebody's attacking you in that manner, and it's usually in this day and age about, well, all right, you're one of those. This is my lifestyle. Now, are you going to condone and support that lifestyle? Because if you don't, you hate me, and I hate you. Well, that's a lie from Satan. doesn't mean we hate anybody because we can't condone a lifestyle that God doesn't condone. But they can certainly shut you down real quick. And try to use that, especially if they think there are other people around or they think they have an audience, to pick you apart. Now, you've got a choice to make. Am I going to stand here and dish it right back? Is it going to avail anything? Probably not. Would that qualify as casting pearls before swine? That's your call. I think probably so. But how often does that happen? To me, not that often. Not that often. More often than not, it's just, well, that's interesting, but I'm not interested. That's not casting pearls before swine, is it? But I've used that excuse to bail and not do like the young guy that was climbing those towers with the other guy. You know, 
All right, I'm just going to keep praying for you. You know, well, don't pray for me. I don't believe in your God. Well, I'll still pray for you anyway. That's the kind of attitude I need to have. Instead of having the parachute on, it's not affecting me. I tried. I'm going to bail. It's so hard sometimes to continue to have grace and compassion and love for those that don't seem to not only not give it back, but have no desire for your grace and compassion and your love. But how many of us would not be here if somebody didn't have that kind of attitude for us and with us? There's a big difference between talking to somebody and with somebody and talking at them. You know, I caught myself in years past trying to church somebody. Now let's clean them up and then we'll share the gospel with them. Well, that's, that's not exactly how it works, is it? No, you share the gospel and it does the rest. And it's not about the messenger, it's about the message. As I find myself finding excuse after excuse for not sharing because I'm convinced and I've already prejudged some people, that eh, they're not going to be interested. I can tell that already just from their lifestyle. So I bail. Pills before swine, I'm not going to waste my pearls. I'll throw a name out. Tell me if it qualifies as pearls for swine. Just in your heart, don't have to shout it. Saul of Tarsus. Yeah, probably so. Who was Saul of Tarsus? We all know. Became the Apostle Paul. But in that state, in that season, in his heart at that time, he was persecuting Christians to the extent that he was rounding them up and be put in jail to, to be executed, basically, to be stoned. And so at that point in his life, that's a season of his life, uh, it would have more than qualified for casting pearls before swine. This is Apostle Paul we're talking about. So with that, that realization that that season doesn't always stay with everybody, that there, there's always hope as long as there's breath in the body, it kind of changes our perspective of you know, how much I'm willing to do. What am I willing to sacrifice? Is my prayer life so eaten up with time that I can't mention them in my prayers? Probably not. So as we see cherry-picked verses that kind of fit the narrative of something that we want to get out of, and this is me, not you, I have to focus a little more clearly. What was it really saying? Who was the audience? Is this really what that verse means? Or am I using it as an excuse? All too often I found that I was using it as an excuse. We'll end with this thought. Saw this online and it hit home. Do we stop casting nets as fishers of men for fear of wasting pearls? That's a deep thought, and I've caught myself doing it. And I hope and I pray that I don't look for excuses and reasons and that I certainly don't cherry-pick verses to try to back up my reasons for constantly and easily and readily predetermining and judging somebody else with an unrighteous judgment and that I bail on this situation before I ever even have a chance helping somebody else doesn't affect me, but it should.
appreciate your kind attention this morning. I gave this lesson probably about 10 years ago, and uh, somebody had requested that I give it again, so I appreciate the opportunity in doing that this morning. Hope it was beneficial, if anything, just maybe stirring up thought, you know, how easy it is to bail on everybody else when it doesn't truly affect us. So appreciate the kind attention. We have the invitation. If there's others in the audience who um, are subject to the gospel call or those who would just desire the prayers of the church, we're here for you. Let us know how we can assist you. You can come have a seat on the front row while we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.